Blind spots are tough, aren't they? Because if you could see them, they wouldn't be a they wouldn't be a blind spot. So we've done this now for several weeks, and um, today is a very unique blind spot because today is one that affects most of us in the room to some degree. We join the story kind of in the middle today. We join the story in Exodus chapter 32. So if you want to find Exodus, it's the second book of the uh, Bible. Begin to find it, and we'll turn to a certain chapter in just a minute. If you want to turn to chapter 32, that's great. Exodus 32, and we'll, we'll deal with that in just a minute. But we join the story where Moses has already had the burning bush. Moses has already been involved with the ten plagues. Moses has already led two or three million people out of Egypt. Moses has already crossed over the, dry, the Red Sea on dry ground. Moses has now been interchanging with God on asking for provisions and for protection. There's been quail, there's been manna, there's been water, there's been all these cool things that God has done. And then, where we join the story today, is God asks Moses, tells Moses, come up to Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, I'm going to start revealing to you the law. I'm going to give you the big 10. I'll give you the 10 commandments. I'll write these on tablets of stone. I will give these to you. And I want you then to take these back and to teach the people. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. Moses is up on the mountain for six weeks. For six weeks, he's up on this mountain with God, and the people down below are beginning to say, what's happened to the big Moses? Where is he? We think he went AWOL. We need another leader. And so we join the story where they ask Aaron to do something very, very sinful. Now, here's the application today right up front, right off the bat. We're not talking about temptations today that come from within, We all have temptations within us. And those temptations within us sometimes are crying out or maybe they're screaming out for us to do something that we shouldn't do. I'm not talking about the things today that come from within us. Today, we're talking about what happens when other people around us try to get us to do something just downright awful or or downright sinful. And in our story today, the people ask Moses' brother Aaron to do something very, very sinful. So just think about yourself for just a second. We're just trying to expose a few things today. We're just trying to reveal a few things today. That's what a blind spot does. A blind spot just kind of peels back and we say, okay, could this be a blind spot in my life? And so what do you do? when somebody tries to persuade you to do something that you know you shouldn't do? What, what do you do when there's pressure from family to do something you know is outside of God's will? What do you do when there are friends who try to persuade you to do something that's outside? of? What do you do when there's a work collective force trying to persuade you to do something you shouldn't do? Exodus chapter 32, here's verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long, how many weeks had he been gone? Six weeks. And coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and they said, come, make us gods who will go before us. That's kind of strange, isn't it? 
God has revealed himself as Yahweh. I'm the God of, you know, I'm the, I'm the ever revealing God. And now they don't know who this God is. Come, make gods for us who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Now, now right here, right off the bat, if this was you and you were Aaron, what could you have done? I mean, this is the point that you've got several options, right? You say, time out, time out, guys, we're not doing this. I don't know where my brother is, but we're not getting ready to go make a God. That's very, very sinful. You could have just said no. Second of all, you could stall. You could say, look, let's just wait a couple weeks. You know, let's give bro a few few more weeks to come down from the mountain. I mean, you got options right here, right? What do you do when people in your life persuade you or try to persuade you or try to manipulate you to do the things that you know are not in your best interest. What do you do? How do you respond? Look at verse two. Well, Aaron answered them, well, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, see, he's going down that slippery slope. He's already fallen into a ditch. He's in the mud at this point. Take off your earrings, your wives have, your sons, your daughters are wearing, and then bring them to me, verse 3. So all the people took off their earrings, and they brought them to Aaron, verse 4. He took what they handed him, and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. In other words, Aaron's either physically doing the crafting himself, or Aaron is the project manager but somehow they're making a God that's one of the Egyptians. We don't have time to talk about the calf God, but it's one of the Egyptian gods. So now they're going back to where they used to be in their mentality, worshiping something of Egypt. So he's fashioning it with a tool, and they said to him, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Look at verse 5. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. So number one, he chokes, he succumbs to their temptation. Number two, he's building an altar. This is, this is unbelievable that the guy is building an altar to this false god. And then he announces that we'll have a party tomorrow. We'll all get together and we'll celebrate this new god. Tomorrow he announced there will be a festival to the Lord. Look at verse six. So the next day, The people rose early and they sacrificed burnt offerings and they presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and they got up to indulge in revelry. Now, why would Aaron give in? Why would you give in when your best friend is persuading you to do something outside the margins of Scripture? Why would Aaron give in? Well, first of all, we could say, well, it's kind of an admirable trait to get along with people, right? I mean, nobody wants to be around people that are like coarse sandpaper. Nobody likes that. So this is a good trait that Aaron is cooperative. Aaron's a team player. Aaron's trying to bring unity. He's trying to, to collectively bring everybody together, which is a good thing, right? But what Aaron does, it's what counselors call codependency, And they used to use this term codependency and talk about this, and and people never really got their minds wrapped around it. So they they shortened it, and they call it people-pleasing. And so today, I want to talk about the blind spot of people-pleasing. Now, probably most of us in the room have this as a blind spot to some extent. 
And there are some of us in the room, some of you in the room, that may have this to a great extent. So what is people-pleasing? We're going to take a test in just a minute. I've got 11 different questions on the test, and we'll see how many of these that you get. Are you up for this? Yes. You still, you still awake? Yes. Okay. Now, again, turn to somebody and say, I don't have this problem, but I can see this in you. <laughs> so what, what, what is this? Well, psychologists don't really like to use the word codependency when they're talking to us because they don't, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but, but they talk about people-pleasing. And so one of the psychologists is Harriet Breaker. And Harriet Breaker, she's written books and articles and all kind of good stuff, but she's, all, she's balled it down to one sentence. She says, people-pleasing is a disease. Pleasing people becomes a disease. And she says it becomes an addiction where you're trying to get all your needs met through somebody else. I had an elder in Memphis, Tennessee. His name was Doyle Brown. And I've told you stories about Doyle before. Doyle's probably 25 years older than I am. Phenomenal leader. And Doyle and I would go bass fishing about once a month. And we'd leave after work about 5 or 5.30. We'd fish till midnight and clean fish till 2 o'clock in the morning. And Doyle and I would be fishing. And I thought we were just fishing. But Doyle was always trying to teach me leadership. And so he'd always have a topic that night. We're bass fishing for hours. And so he would raise a topic and then we'd talk about it for the next two hours. Took me about three years to figure out we weren't just bass fishing. I thought we were just bass fishing, but there was a purpose to it. He was always teaching me leadership. And I'll never forget one night. He said, preacher, is it better to be liked or respected? And I said, well, gosh, I'd, I'd like to be both. And of course, he said, well, everybody would. And he then for the next two hours, we talked about how leaders have to be respected and how leaders have to do the right thing and how leaders do the right thing all the time. And it was a great two-hour conversation, which took me 20 years to figure out. It was a lesson on leadership. Another psychologist by the name of Susan um, Howard. Susan Howard, she writes about how people-pleasers want to make everybody happy. And if they can make everybody happy, they think then that that will somehow make them happy. So how does, how does this work? How does people-pleasing work? Well, I want to look at verse 7, 8, 9, first of all, and we'll, we'll, we'll dial into this a little bit more. The Lord said to Moses, Moses is up on the mountain with God. He says, go down, go down Mount Sinai, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt, they have become corrupt. Look at verse 8. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and they have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Look at, look at verse 9. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. <clears throat> Is God happy at this point? He's not very happy. So we're talking about people-pleasing today. Last week we talked about, anybody remember last week? Anger. Thank you. Front row. Thank you. Somebody remembered. We talked about the blind spot of anger. And so you can see this was with, with Moses. Moses was not a people-pleaser. Moses had the anger issue going on. And in just a minute, he's going to come down the mountain. He's going to throw down these two ten, uh, these tablets of stone. He's going to break them. And they really weren't his to break. 
God wrote on them himself, and they weren't really Moses's to destroy. But maybe people-pleasing today isn't your thing, but maybe last week's podcast on anger is more your thing. Remember we talked about last week, anger? Everybody deals with anger in one of three ways, anger in, anger out, or anger management. Everybody does that with anger. Anger in, anger out, anger management. All right, let's just take a quick test with this too. How many of you are more anger out kind of people in the room? That's all? How many of you kind of anger in people? You fit in one of the two of these categories. Anger, anger in, anger out. How many of you manage your anger really, really well? Yeah, six of you. Good, good. All right. All right. Look at verse 15. Moses turned, went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God, the writing of the The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, now this is kind of cool. If you think about it, Moses was up on the mountain and he's coming down the mountain and somewhere down the mountain, he picks up Joshua. Joshua's not with the camp. Joshua's maybe, you know, it's about midway. On the way down, Moses picks up Joshua and they begin to walk together. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Verse 18, Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. In verse 19, When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf, the dancing, his anger burned. He threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Moses is definitely anger out. This is a blind spot for Moses. He he is so, so angry. Uh, A couple years ago, I was with a friend of mine, and he'd just gotten a new BlackBerry. It's when the BlackBerry phones just came out. And he was trying to work it, and I watched him. He got so angry with that BlackBerry phone. It was brand new. He did. He threw it against the wall and just smashed about 12 different pieces. It was fun watching him. It wasn't my Blackberry. It, it, was, it was an event just, just to watch this. I have a weed eater that I'm convinced it was the, the Antichrist. It just, <clears throat> this weed eater, and Ethan can attest to this. We got a new one. We took it back, got it fixed. Wouldn't work. I kid you not. This weed eater would make Mother Teresa say bad words. I counted how many times it took before the weed eater would start. It took 83 pulls before that weed eater started. Bad words came right here. They didn't come out. They came right here in the back of my mind. I was so happy when I threw that thing in the trash and I condemned it to hell. One of the happiest days of my life was throwing that weed eater away. Maybe, maybe anger's not your thing, okay? But it was Moses. Look at verse 20. Moses was angry. He took, he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire, and he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and he made them drink it. Holy smoke, they're drinking that gold powdered calf stuff. That was nasty. Then he's going to ask Aaron the, the question of truth. See, people pleasers don't like this moment. This next moment is Aaron's worst moment. Aaron would rather give in and give in to the people than face the next moment. This is where people pleasers have a hard time. Look at the next verse, verse 21. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such a great sin? Look at his answer, verse 22. Don't be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone he's blaming other people, right? 
He blames everybody else. You know how prone these people are to evil? Verse 23. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Verse 24. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. This is like talking to your four-year-old. Why is there milk all over the floor? I don't know. Did your brother make you spill it? Maybe, maybe. I mean, this is so ridiculous. But let's talk about this for just a minute. How, how does this happen? How, how do we become people pleasers? And why? Why would you and I kind of live our life trying to please other people? Well, there's several good answers for this. Number one, maybe you just fear being alone. Maybe you fear that if you stand up for who you are and what you think and what you believe, that somehow you're going to be alone and, and, and you fear being alone more than anything else. Maybe you just want attention. Maybe you didn't get attention. You didn't get attention at home. You didn't get attention when you were growing up. And, and, and you feel like, you know, if I can just please people, somehow that will give me some attention. Maybe you figured out by having empathy has brought you some short-term results, some short-term gain, not long-term gain. And you figure out after a while, it leaves you very tired trying to please everybody else. But short-term, when you begin to please other people, you get some accolades coming, coming back, back towards you. Maybe you just were brought up that way. And in your upbringing, perhaps your needs were never considered. There were too many people at home or maybe you were the only person at home and mom and dad had already checked out of parenting and mom and dad were on to their own endeavors or maybe there wasn't a dad or maybe there wasn't a mom. But anyway, when you grew up, nobody really asked you your opinion. And so you just kind of grew up thinking that, okay, my opinion doesn't really count. So if I want to have a good life, I have to let other people's opinions trump what I think or even what I want to do. And so you begin then developing a lifestyle of trying to prop up everybody else and make everybody else happy. And somehow you think that if you make everybody else happy at the end of the day, maybe, just maybe, you will be happy. This is very common. A lot more people struggle with the blind spot of people pleasing than even the blind spot of anger. Anger, we kind of know how we are, don't we, when it comes to anger, because we get angry all the time. But people-pleasing, we begin to insulate and we begin to isolate ourselves, thinking, I, I just want to be happy, and if I can please other people and make other people happy, then maybe I will be happy myself. Um, perhaps this brought attention to you as a youth. And this is a way that you got attention. You didn't get attention in school. You didn't get attention with sports. You didn't get attention with music. You didn't get attention with dance. But you got attention by just going with the flow and going with the crowd and doing kind of what everybody else wanted to do. All right, let's take a test. Let's take a test. Look on the screen if you would. And we're going we're gonna to take 11 different things and see if about five of these apply to you. I'm guessing if about three or four of these, four or five of these apply to you, then this is something that you need to think about. Again, I can't solve this today. I can't resolve this today, but I can expose something today. Here we go. Number one, you ready? Are you ready? Are you just saying that to please me? Or are you really, okay. All right, here, here we go. All right, 
I usually back down from arguments. Now, there's a couple of us in this room that we, this doesn't fit us at all, okay? I get that, but, but, but there's, anyway, let's, let's take the test. I usually back down from arguments. Number two, I rarely raise my concerns with others. Number three, I go out of my way to please people even when it ends up hurting me. Now, again, I'm not saying be self-centered, be selfish, be obnoxious. Life's all about you. That's called narcissism. We're not talking about that. We're talking about an unhealthy addiction where to please becomes a disease. That's what we're talking about today. Number four, I take very little time for myself. Number five. I put myself out financially as a result of a desire to please. Number six, I have many one-sided relationships. Folks, if you've got about three of these already, this is something I would encourage you to kind of work through and think about. Number seven, I rarely say no. Number eight, I allow people to take advantage of my good nature. There's a lot of people that will take advantage of you if you're this way, right? They love it. They love that you're this way. They'll walk all over you. Number nine, I have the tendency to help people I barely know, even at the expense of my family. Number 10, I need to be liked more than I need to be respected. That was my conversation with my fishing buddy, Doyle Brown. Number 11, this is, this is a real key, number 11. I give away Ray tickets when they play Boston or the Yankees. If that's you, you can just leave right now. By the way, did we win last night? I watched it. I saw it. All right. Let's talk now quickly about three major dangers of being a people pleaser. And maybe you want to write this down. If you want to write these down on the back of your bulletin, there are three dangers of being a people pleaser that I think is uh, important for us to keep in front of us, okay? Danger number one, you will compromise God's standards. You see, you weren't designed to compromise God's standards, you were designed to live within those standards. But if you're trying to please people, you will compromise. Listen to Acts chapter 4. Then they called them in again, and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. And verse 20 says this. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And so the early apostles, the early disciples recognized they were not going to be people pleasers. They were going to take a stand for truth and for righteousness. So number one, you will compromise God's standard. Number two, you will be led astray. Aaron was led astray. It tarnished Aaron's image forever. Aaron did some really good things. We don't really remember them. We remember the golden calf and the choke. That's what we remember. And so what happens here? Look at this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of themselves, treacherous, rash, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. If you've got friends in your life 
who are encouraging you and persuading you to live outside the margins of Scripture, I'd get some new friends. Okay? Because you will be led astray by people who don't share your views or don't share your values. Number three, why is it dangerous? Number three, you won't reach your full potential in Christ. God has designed you and wired you for greatness. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl is designed with a destiny in mind. God has an incredible plan for every one of us in this room. Listen to what Galatians says. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And here's what Paul is saying. And here's what Jesus would say. And here's what John would say. You are not the answer for everything. But you are the answer for some things. I want you to think about this. You see, here's the balance today in today's message. You can't fix every problem, but you are to fix some problems. You can't solve every area of need, but you can serve a lot of areas of needs. And so what do we do? How do we get to the place where we begin to ask God, what is your will for my life? Well, Galatians 2.10 tells us. Galatians 2, chapter, I'm sorry, Ephesians. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus, what? To do good works. Now, I want you to watch, look at that verse for just a second. You see, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good, to do good works, not to, not to try to please people. You're not trying to live your life to please other people. You're trying to live your life to please your heavenly Father. And your heavenly Father has wired you with certain bents, certain gifts, certain temperaments, certain, certain things that you just love to do, and you're good at it. And before the world was ever created... He enlisted you into his service. You see, here's the balance. I'm not supposed to be a people pleaser, but I am created to do good works for God. And so you're not the answer for everything, but you are the answer for something. So how do you go about your life? What do you do to keep all this in balance? Well, next week... We're going to spend the entire next week talking about these three different pieces. If you will put these three activities in your life every day, every way, every week, you will always be able to know exactly what God wants you to do. And so next week, this is kind of like a commercial for next Sunday, but next Sunday, we're going to talk about worship. You see, how do I know who I am? How do I know who I was created to be? We learn to worship God, and that's a blind spot too. I just want to say that's a blind spot. Because sometimes we think we come in here on a Sunday morning and we get our our little worship done, and we've done our worship for a week. Worship's a way of life. Worship's what we do. Worship's what we are. Worship's who we are. And so we worship God all week long. School, work, driving on US 19, that's a stretch. But we worship God all the time, everywhere we go. And so next week, if you want to know how to have all these things in your life, the right balance, we're going to talk about worship as a way of life. We as a staff and elders are absolutely convinced we want everybody to be in a connect group. We want everybody to connect. And we, we feel like if you will get into a group of people where you're praying with people and sharing with people and, 
you're doing life with people, you will grow. Now, if you're growing and growing leaps and bounds without a connect group, that's great. But if you're stuck, I challenge you for eight weeks this fall, eight weeks to get into a connect group with another group of people, like-minded faith, nobody's perfect, nobody's got their act all together, but we get together and we grow and we study. And we were designed to contribute. Every one of us in this room, we were designed to contribute to the kingdom of God. So how do you contribute? How do you use the gifts that God has given you? How do you use your time and your money and your heart and your will? I'm telling you, we've had some amazing people this last week who have full-time jobs who've worked till 9, 10, 11 o'clock almost every night this week making these incredible sets that you see all over the building. You're not the answer for everything, but you are the answer for some things. And so how do you discover what you're the answer for? Well, we are convinced as a staff that these three pieces will always help you find your way to live a life of worship, to live a life where you're connected with other people growing in your faith, and you contribute, and you contribute, and you contribute, and you contribute, and you contribute to the kingdom of God, to the local church, to your family, to your neighbors, to your whatever, workforce, whoever's around you. Um, is this people-pleasing something that strikes a nerve today? Is this something that you've got to think through and you've got to think about a little bit? See, I, I think this one is one of those blind spots that kind of sneaks up on you. And then you think, okay, I'm not really sure what to do about it. And, and that's why these three activities will bring clarity to your life all of the time. If I could get you to do three things, three things only, it would be these things right here. That worship would become a way of life. That you would come to a connect group and in a Bible study and you'd pray and say the scriptures with other people who are trying to get their life together just like you. And that you would find areas and places everybody needs to contribute, serve, engage, contribute, and make a significant difference. Um, I don't know how much TV you watch. We, we don't watch a whole lot of TV, but our whole family watches Duck Dynasty. How, how many of you watch Duck Dynasty? I mean, it's only two levels above Swamp People, but it's, 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 a, it's a heck of a good show, and, 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 and they're all Christians, I mean, they are, they are committed Christians. On the, on the far left, the woman Kay and her husband Phil, uh, I just finished his book called Happy, Happy, Happy. It's a great little book. It takes about an hour and a half to read. Very simple. But this, this book tells Phil's story. And Phil was 28 years old, running hard, drinking hard, chasing women, beating up these bartenders and just doing all the things that were completely outside of God's will. And at 28 years of age, Phil became a Christian. And this preacher and Phil were talking and 
The next day, Phil Robertson was baptized into Jesus Christ. And for the last, he's 66 years old. So from 28 to 66, Phil Robertson would say, I am now living to please the one who rose from the dead. And what's so cool about this story is, see, Phil wasn't a people pleaser. Phil was living to please himself. And so when you get to the place in your life when you recognize, I'm going to please somebody. I'm going to live to please myself. I'm going to live to please other people. Or I'm going to live to please the one who rose from the dead. And everybody in the room has kind of got to figure out who you're going to please.